0: This is the Hockey News Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast, we joined by McKenny Hockey and BetMGM. MGM. I'm Mike Stevens, sitting across from me is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, remember when I said that training camps and media days and all that was my favorite time of the year? You certainly did. I, I lied. I okay. lied straight to your face on our first ever podcast we did together. How dare you. Which is a great way to start off our, <laughs> our lovely partnership here. Um it's actually now. I love the start of the season. You know, everyone is undefeated, but then we mm-hmm. all get to once that once those couple games get to go in, we get to make, you know, sweeping judgments yes. uh, that that will almost certainly not define the rest of the season. You know, guys who barely made it out of training camp are playing that will likely not be playing at the end of the season. It's great. I love it. What about you? What do you what do you do you like this
0: time of year or I certainly do because there's so much anticipation heading into it. And you know, it's really funny though. I get this thing where, you know, obviously certain fan bases uh, have expectations and that first week, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. So you might get a team that gets hot, you know, they win their first three games, but it's like, but we know they're going to be like the last place team that, that to me is the real fun part where it's like, you're like, Hey, maybe team X isn't so bad. And then they lose like, you know, ten of the next fifteen.
1: I will put money, and I don't have like I've been very clear on this show, on our betting show. I don't have much, right? But I will put money on the fact that the Arizona Coyotes will be like two zero or three zero to start the season. Yeah. And we will get a couple think pieces about how the small arena is bringing the team together, mm-hmm. and how you know this is a team. This is their chip on the shoulder is going to ride them to a surprise, uh, you know, birth in the playoffs, yeah. and then it's all going to go downhill. Yeah. We all know it's it's going to be, but it's going to be. Magical for for uh, early season content. Exactly it's gonna be great. Um, yeah. Although to start off I mean look we t- to give you a little peek behind the scenes here. We were gonna go We were gonna talk about all, everything that happened with uh, with Hockey Canada We were gonna talk about you know all the sponsorships lost we were gonna talk about you know the calls for change in action and then Legitimately two minutes before we started recording today the big the biggest sweeping change in Canadian hockey history essentially came down the pike um, hockey can announced that uh ceo uh, president ceo scott uh, smith has departed they, that's the term they use departed and the entire board of directors has mm-hmm. stepped down there will be a new management committee set up to bring in a new board of directors and hopefully enact some swift change i mean this is this is what every canadian um and every i would say every person who has been you know abreast of the situation has wanted This is the, this is the sweeping change that everyone was wanting. You know, uh, this is the, this is essentially the, the gutting of this rot, hopefully gutting mm-hmm. of this rot that, that has been permeating hockey Canada and is, and is led to every, all of these just abhorrent discoveries that we've learned over recent weeks and, and months and, you know, coming up on years. What do we
0: think of this? Well, I, obviously this is, as you mentioned, what a lot of people were hoping for. And, you know, it, it presents such a great opportunity to reset things, mm-hmm. and and you know certainly not you know forget what happened in the past, Absolutely but to not. learn from it and to build. And you know it's interesting because it, it felt at least like for most of the uh, the recent past, you know, Hockey Canada was just a really good money making machine. Yes, right. Like if you think about it from a corporate level, because you know the actual success on ice that goes to the coaches, the players, you know, the grassroots volunteers, everybody that makes that up. Mm. But in terms of like what hockey Canada specifically, they were really good at making money yeah. and, you know, being a huge player on the international stage, but, you know, making money off of hockey in Canada, shouldn't be that big a deal. No, it's, you know, it's, you know, selling water, barrel.
1: selling water in a drought, you know, it's something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So for me, what this opportunity uh, brings up is you can remake this organization where you can hopefully learn from the s- mistakes of the past. And when you're assembling this board and we're figuring out who the leadership is going to be, you're looking into, you know, gender equality and mm-hmm. you're looking at uh, multiculturalism and you're looking at, you know, how those things can help grow the grassroots game, make things stronger. And most importantly, bring back some trust and faith in the organization. So obviously you're looking way outside your usual parameters Mm -hmm. of who you want on a board of directors for this particular group. And I I think that's fine. I think, you know, obviously you want to have people that love the sport of hockey and, and have some experience there. But I think just in terms of good governance and best practices, those are almost more important right now for the organization and sort of say, like, we need to run this like an actual corporation mm-hmm. and not this weird sort of, you know, uh, yeah, like, I don't even know how to describe what Hockey Canada was before, you know, at worst, they were cynically... Um, you know, hiding and and trying to dismiss all the the terrible things that happened, and you know, at best, naive that they could fix things behind the scenes mm-hmm. and and not make sort of a, a huge public, um, you know, scene about it. Whatever the intentions were, they were wrong. Yes. Um. So now you're in a situation where you're basically starting with mostly a blank slate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, they were bureaucrats. You can find other bureaucrats. There's lots of people like that that can do that out there. But, you know, if you can find some sort of good agents of change uh, to get in there, I mean, the the infrastructure is easy. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's an organization that, as I said, they knew how to make money. They knew how to put a winning product on the ice, whether it was women's hockey, men's hockey, junior hockey, you know, they were there and you know, they got results. Um, the problem was everything else. Yes. So now they have a chance to make it right. Here's what I'm worried
1: about though is, you know, the, the initial, I mean, we're, we're kind of working through this just as you were when you first got this announcement. We literally just got it we're working through. And, and one thing that stu- stuck out to me is that, I mean, this, this was obviously their, their breaking case of emergency sort of, uh, uh, I guess, cor- course of action, right mm-hmm. there. But I'm, what I'm worried about is that this will now, they believe now that this will sweep everything else under the rug. It will start anew and everyone just fell on their sword and we're going to forget. No, Hockey mm. Canada was, was going to take um, like the government basically to court. So they didn't have to release their financials. So they, so we couldn't see however many other hush funds there were. You know, mm. they just like, there's a lot that is still left to uncover. Mm. There are likely still victims out there who have been, you know, who, are, who could be potentially waiting for their day of justice in this, you know, there's there there are people who oversaw and cover these up who should be, you know, subjected to like criminal actions. Totally. <clears throat> and what I'm worried about is that with all with this happening, now that people are going to think, oh well, the problem is solved. Mm-hmm. You know, like like it, it washes away everything from the past. We can start new. That's not true. Unfortunately, we can't just forget. We can't just move on. Like there has to be recourse and action. And yes, this is this is incredible recourse and in action. Like this is yeah. as good of. Uh, this is this is consequences. Finally, yes. yeah. but I mean, like these people, like Scott Smith. He said, "Oh, I just got here." No, he's been part of Hockey Canada for literally as long as I've been alive. I'm 26 right. years old. He got there, I believe, in 1995 or 96. That was the year I was born. So he's been there my entire life. So all I've known from Hockey Canada is what he has done. Mm. He is not the person to to, to lead this uh, lead this change. And thankfully, he's out. Same with the entire board of directors who sat, who who okayed these hush funds and everything. But. What I'm hoping for is two things. One, we don't sweep, sweep this under the rug. Uh-huh. We continue the investigations into these former people. We we continue because sitting on, on Hockey Canada's board, being CEO of Hockey Canada, it's not a right. You know, mm-hmm. being being removed from that position is not adequate punishment. Right. You know, like it, it's not, you know, all right, well, you know, you lost your title. You lost your big, you know, CEO money-making job. All right, well, you learned your lesson. Mm-hmm. No, because you'll go on and be a consultant somewhere else. he will go on and do something. Well, he needs to be he needs to be brought up and put on trial basically and then secondly this whoever is is forming this new hockey canada board of directors whoever is forming you know the, all of just every level of hockey canada transparency needs to be the key mm. it's transparency 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 every single dollar that they get sponsorship wise registration fee wise you know uh, donation wise everything that needs to be publicly accessible and and publicly uh, reported so every, like maybe not in a tweet release but i mean it needs to be publicly accessible in a database, or just in terms of any sort of online, you know, archive. People need to be able to see how hockey Canada spends their money, especially if they're getting government um, funding. Government funding. There needs, like, this needs to be. We need to keep on the fight to bring the people who who allowed thousands of lives or hundreds of lives, I guess, potentially thousands, to be ruined through this. Um, and we also need to. We also need to ensure that we set up a a situation where this can never ever happen again, never. And that is going to be extremely difficult. Mm. Um, And I'm, I'm a little worried that hockey can itself is creating this, you know, this search committee to bring in these new board directors, because then again, it's still hockey can itself doing, doing the searching. And I mean, that, that, that goes to show the, uh, the lack of trust that you were talking about um, that we have in that organization. But at least this is the, I mean, this is exactly what everyone wanted, but everything needs to be transparent Mm. as like, just, as possible, like like every single dime that goes in, every single penny that goes into that, that organization needs to be publicly accessible. And we also need to ensure that we do not stop the investigations into the crimes of the past because this, that's exactly what they wanted with this. This is a break glass in case of a scenario. This is, all right, we did what everyone wants was calling for us. We all fell on our sword. That exonerates us. It doesn't.
0: Yeah. And I think accountability is the big yes. thing there. And, you know, it, it almost reminds me of, you know, when you get like a new president or prime minister, just as like a financial crisis is coming, or, you know, the CEO of, you know, like a major corporation, like an, you know, like a, like a car company, right when there's, you know, like a huge bailout or something where it's like, yeah, they're, they're new, but they still have to deal with, you know, what they, what was left for them. And I, I think that is going to be big where the type of people you bring in you want them to be kind of proactive on this and say, "Okay, like we have a lot of work to do, and um, and we're going to do it." I also think that you know when you look at the provincial hockey federations, uh, who you know ha- were sort of part of this battle as well. You had the sponsors mm-hmm. pull out, but then you also had you know Hockey Quebec or Ontario Hockey Federation. You had them, you know, saying we've lost faith. Yeah, we're, like we're we don't want to give you <laughs> the money. Yeah. Now, I think it's going to be very important because, again, you know, with them, you have organizations that have been doing this for a long time. They know what goes into it. They've dealt Mm -hmm. with the, you know, Hockey Canada before. I think they can be very important uh, in saying, okay, here's what's in front of you, new board. Yes. Um, Here are our expectations and here's where you need to improve. So Mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot of people, but this is a start.
1: Absolutely, and it's it's unfortunate too that it, it had to get to this point for this change to happen because you know we were talking about it before we started recording, but like all of their AAA sponsors are gone, all of their high end sponsors are gone. We have Nike, Bauer, Telus, Tim Hortons, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Canadian Tire. Every they have no, there was no one left. Like if you looked at, I mean, you were at the World Juniors. Like if you looked at the actual, you know, the, the rink side advertising,
0: like a lot of it was lacking. There was none. There the was only the only rinks dashboard sponsor. Was uh, Hublot the 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 watch watch company, company. and that's because they were a Double IHF sponsor, not a a Hugander sponsor. Yeah, it was pretty wild.
1: So it's like this is when you look at it, you go, "Well, what else could they have done? There was no way they were going to weather the storm." You know, the Navigator, the 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 uh, the firm, the crisis management firm that they hired, uh, their job was essentially to push back on on this. Like that was their their thing was push back, blame the media, do all that kind of stuff. Which is, you know, the natural, I guess, sort of way that people—the natural sort of modus operandi that people use in situations like this these days. Thank you, Trump. Um, But, uh, but, but, like, there was no other recourse for this. There was no other. Like, it's, it's a shame that that this rightful action had to happen. Um, because they got backed into a wall, there was no yeah. way that this organization could feasibly continue yeah. in a financial sense. All of their sponsors pulled out. All of their other surrounding uh, organizations that that funnel money into them had pulled out. There was n- basically no cash income in there anymore. There was no yeah. money flow, and so you go, okay, well, at, at, at this point, like, there's nothing left for us to do. Opposed to where you would like to do, what you would like to happen is these things come out. You know, you get taken to parliament. It gets revealed as it did. And then the people go, well, clearly I'm doing something wrong here. I'm stepping down. No, this was like, this was as much of a gun. This was a bazooka to the head. This wasn't just a gun. So let's not give them credit. Let's not. Like what I'm worried about is people going to go like, well, they finally did the right thing. Right. No, they did the right thing under duress. They yeah. did the right thing because they were forced to. That's not doing the right thing. Yeah. If you hold me at gunpoint and say, give money to, to this homeless man outside instead of kicking him or something, yeah. that's not me being a good person. Yeah. That's me doing something because I was forced to do it. And this that's exactly what they did here. And and so we need to, for people, people are going to go and say, well, finally, like I said, at least they, at least they did the right thing. It took forever, but finally, no they don't deserve credit for this yeah. and you know exactly why because for uh, for someone we were going to talk about it, Andrea Skinner the the interim board of uh, interim chair of the board when mm. she stepped down even her statement was what just went to show that this this organization, everyone in it, is so obtuse. They don't understand the, the 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 gravity of the situation, they still don't understand what they did wrong. She was framing it as, well, I'm a volunteer, I'm doing you a favor, and it's just not worth my time anymore. So I'm gonna step down. Right. You know, like this, these are the people we're dealing with. Yeah. They got forced to do this, basically kicking and screaming. This is not their their you know, choice of free will. This is their well, the organization is going to literally fall into ruin. Financial ruin, yeah. If if we don't do this, so I guess we have to. Let's not give them too much credit for that. Fair, yeah. yeah. Um. All right. You wanna you wanna I guess move on to hockey. Yes. On the ice, that'd Let's be great. Um. I guess our final thoughts would be good riddance. Hopefully, there will be positive change.
0: Indeed.
1: Uh, moving forward. All right. The opening night of the NHL is today. It's That's Tuesday. Right. Depending on when this comes up, yeah. you know, uh, when this gets gets posted, uh, you're gonna be able to watch. Hockey, the, either the first game tonight or on Wednesday, tomorrow. A lot happened over the weekend. Indeed. Um, uh, for our Canadian listeners out there, I'm sure you had a great time checking Twitter while your family judged you uh, in the living room, because <laughs> I certainly did. Um, I believe it was 64 players got placed on waivers on it was Sunday. Uh, and then the Monday waiver, uh, a, a shockingly small amount of players got claimed. Actually, I was I was expecting a lot more cap crunch. Cap crunch, baby! It's it's insane. And it's real. I want to bring up, and, and as we go in here, I want to bring up some of the most perfect cap LTIR placements that we've seen in the last couple of days. Because nice. I'm not have you have you seen any? There of was these? a couple of fun ones. Yeah, yeah. So so we'll go through that, Ryan. Let's start. Let's go through these. Let's go through some of these teams alphabetically. Let's talk about some of the interesting, you know, opening night sort of sort of shifting and, and and shimmying that these teams have done. Mm-hmm. Arizona, obviously, you the number one. They're always active on waivers. Mm-hmm. That's the, basically the only way they can get players at this point is forcibly bringing them to Arizona. Um, they grabbed Yusuf Alamaki, which I think is actually a worthwhile pickup. You know, For like sure. he's a former first round pick. He obviously, you know, was, wasn't going to make it in Calgary. Apparently things had stalled there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so they picked him up. He's a good defenseman. And then, mm-hmm. Uh, Connor Ingram, who actually got into some playoff games for uh, the Not Predators sure, last yeah. year. and um, didn't look all too bad. It looked better than David Riddick, I can tell you that. So, <laughs> you uh, And and because of that, Jonas Johansson and Jacob Chikrin are both hurt. What do we think of Arizona's moves?
0: I like it a lot. And, you know, we're at the point where, yeah, we know Arizona's rebuilding. Yeah. They're going to be probably one of the weakest teams in the NHL. Uh, you know, if they got Connor Bedard first overall, that would be huge in their rebuild. But... You know, just picking up little assets here and there. And, you know, and Connor Ingram, you know, as you mentioned, a, a goalie that can give you some starts. He so can play, he you can know? play. So, you go, you know, and Carl Vigmelka, uh you know, we saw him have some pretty good runs last Came year. Came out of nowhere, Came too. Came out of nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, your goaltending, I think, improved mm. right there. Uh And it didn't cost you anything because it was waivers. And then, yeah, Valimaki, very interesting because Calgary essentially had too many good defensemen. Yep. And, you know, this is a player who his development curve really got stunted by injuries. Yes. And I believe he's 24 years old he's right now, 24, young. 25. Um, but in terms of actual experience and ice time, it's been a bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, first round pick, uh, you know, can do a lot out there on the ice. Had some offensive upside, uh, you know, has size. He can, he can defend as well. So for a team like Arizona, especially with Chicken, uh on the shelf to begin the year, you say, hey, free defenseman, and one that has some nice potential. You know, like I think Valimaki, if he can find his range, you're looking at it like a second pairing guy mm. at this point, uh, especially in Arizona. Uh, I mean, heck, you know, they might even put him on the first pairing. Who knows? I mean, you know, Shane Goss' bear is obviously going to be, um, you know, up there. But otherwise, you know, they have a lot of sort of defensive defensemen. Yeah. Um, On that roster, and and Valimaki is a two-way guy, so he can kind of help out there. So you know, and Dylan Gunther made the roster, uh, Mm -hmm. which is very positive. He was a high pick for them, and uh, again, you know, with Arizona, this is a year where it's okay. Let's see who's going to step up because you know we're looking towards the future. We want to figure out who our cornerstones are, Mm -hmm. and I think that um val gets a great opportunity yeah. to kind of start fresh here because he was he was frankly blocked in calgary by a super strong lineup so now he gets a chance uh to spread his wings and hopefully he stays healthy healthy and the best thing that
1: that Arizona's looking for is asset management it's cost control val mm-hmm. like you say he's 24 so he's still pretty young i mean i'm 26 there you go so hopefully hopefully 24 is still pretty young if not then my life is uh, peaked at this point, um, but he's making 1.55, yep. and then he's an RFA upon expiry. Mm-hmm. So you know what? He can't even leave if he wants to. He's got to stay. Go. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty great. Conor, like we said, Connor Ingram, he's a body. He can give you starts. Yeah. Um, he he, you know he he played the Colorado Avalanche in the first round of the playoffs and didn't look terrible. There you go. What yeah. else do you want to What exactly. else do you want to see? Um, all right, moving on. We have Columbus, a very intriguing team. Yeah, uh, Very intriguing team going into the season. They have a lot of, they have a sneaky, like they're building a good little young core there. Mm-hmm. You know, they like Johnny Goudreau not young, but I mean like yeah. they got, they got some, you know, they got Boquist. They got, you know, like we're talking about here, Kent Johnson, mm-hmm. Matthew Olivier, Justin Danforth. Those three made the team. But no Kirill Marchenko, no David Yerchek, and they waved Emil Bemstrom.
0: Yeah, so this is really interesting mm-hmm. because, you know, Kirill Marchenko is a prospect that really developed well back in Russia. And then he's, you know, he's coming over here. There's a lot of excitement, yeah. big body. and he's like built like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all the Ohio State fans, I'm sure, are pretty psyched about that in Columbus. The Ohio State University. The Ohio State yes. University, exactly. Um, yeah, a lot of potential there, but for some reason, uh, they – they weren't feeling him at camp, so they send him to Cleveland. Uh, and at the time, it, it felt like it was, you know, it, like, Emil Bemstrom was the one that benefited, but then obviously he was-, uh, he was But he's away. still on the
1: team, I guess, now, right? Like, he hasn't been sent down officially, has he? Uh,
0: not to my I knowledge. Don't not so. Not right now. Um, but, you know, Kent Johnson makes a team, so yes. that's very exciting. You know, we saw a bit of him at the end of last year coming out of the University of Michigan. High traffic, exciting. Yeah, and awesome at the World Juniors this summer in Edmonton. Uh, obviously, you know, had the golden goal. And, uh, and just really, I mean, he's more of a playmaker than a shooter, and he was dishing off amazing passes all tournament long. Uh, so it was kind of funny that he got the goal coming off an amazing pass from Logan Sankoven, but Ken Johnson's super fun to watch. So it'll be neat to see what they do, but you know, very interesting. Uh, Matthew Olivier, mm-hmm. who you know, he's a tough guy. You can drop the gloves for you. Uh, and then Justin Danforth, just sort of a speedy energy guy, like took the, the route, not usually seen. He played for sacred heart. You know, he went over to Europe yeah. he's been in all, all over the minors, but you know, Spent a good chunk of the time with uh, Columbus last year, so he earns it. Juracek, it's not really a surprise to me necessarily that he didn't make the team, but it's interesting that they decided to start him in Cleveland in the AHL, because mm-hmm. obviously they could have sent him back to Europe. But it, I, I get the sense that... Sense. You know, it's good to have him just down the road in Cleveland uh, where they can keep tabs on him. He gets used to the North American game. You know, if they need him to come up to the NHL and play a bit, they can obviously do that. I thought he was pretty good uh, at the World Juniors this summer as well. Uh, Really had to do a lot on that check uh, back end, but he's got the big shot and he's got the big body. So um, just kind of interesting to see that they they did send him down, but it, it makes sense.
1: They were one thing that really stood out to me about Urochek, especially at the draft, and you know, we were both there. But also, even in further sort of like research that I've done, is that Columbus is like over the moon to have gotten this guy. Uh-huh. This is their guy. They wanted him from the start, and they were like the fact that he fell to them because they were very worried about that. Mm-hmm. They were they were overjoyed. They were they were thrilled to get him at the draft. You could tell. And then also, I've been watching the because uh, I'm a you know I'm a single guy who lives alone, so I have a lot of uh, you know. Like I, I, my day is not filled with family and, right. and, and all that. I get to watch uh, YouTube and stuff. And I've been watching the, the with jacket sort of behind the scenes, interesting little sort of like half an hour, I, I guess I want to call it a documentary. It's a show, I sure. guess. And they did a whole thing on the draft. And if you look behind the scenes, it's very candid too. And if you look behind the scenes, like they, these dudes were like, basically like about to open mouth kiss each other when yeah. they got this guy, <laughs> like he was thrilled. And so I can see why they don't want to rush me in the NHL. Mm. They're, they're doing the smart thing, but they don't want to send him back to, uh, you know, back overseas because they realize, like, you know, we, it, it'll be, it'll be a hassle to get him back. Yeah. They want to start him in Cleveland. They believe in the Cleveland Monsters. Like, the Cleveland Monsters, very low key. They're not, they're not really, um they're not really looked at as one of like the top developmental pipelines, but they've graduated a lot of players from Cleveland and a yep. lot of very good players. And, and, you know, they put a lot of work in, into that, into that minor league uh, team and they want to have him close. They want to mm-hmm. have him in that state. They want to, they want to make sure that he can develop. You know, on North American ice, he can he can continue to prove uh, and and I guess sort of go through those those progressions that you need to you need to go through to become an NHLer. But to do it, you know, like we talked about with uh, with our Slavkosi conversation last week, right? Where you know you do it without the eyes on you, uh, do it in in big minutes, but you can make mistakes. I yeah. like it. I really do. Um, Benstrom's going to be interesting because he makes nine hundred grand. Mm. Um, you know, he's he's twenty. I believe he's twenty three. So he's even younger. Um, than than a guy like Valimaki, you know, he has potential. Uh, he was really good overseas, uh, and he was okay when he when he came in the in the 2019-20 season. He, I think, it was 10 goals, 10 assists, 20 points in 54 games, which you know for like a 19 year old at the time, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, some teams could potentially take a take a chance on him, and the best part about that is he's cleared waivers, so he can be sent up and down between the AHL. I believe for the next 30 days without waivers. Um, so that's a huge that's a huge benefit. I think I think we're gonna see a Bemstrom. Uh, uh trade coming down the pipe um what that return might be we don't know but the fact that columbus has so many players that they mm-hmm. don't need a guy like emil Benson or they don't or they don't even even at this time they don't need a guy like krill marchenko or david Yurchek. i think that's that that speaks to just how improved their roster is right
0: for sure and i think the fact that cole sillinger went right to the nhl uh, really kind of helped them in terms of their depth oh, yeah. where that was kind of a nice little bonus. And then Kent Johnson, obviously developing the way he did. Uh, you know, Igor Chinikov is, uh, it's a cliche, but he's a year older now, but he does have more experience and he had a, a sizzling preseason and the led fact- the NHL in goals. So can he do that in the regular season now, that's the big. You cannot test. lead the
1: NHL in goals in the regular season. I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go on record. I'm, yeah,
0: it. I'm probably not. Yeah, um, but it's it's also nice because you don't want to gift roles to <laughs> youngsters, and so you can say to guys like Johnson and Chinikoff, like, look, if, if it's not working, we got Marchenko chomping at the chomping at the bit in Cleveland to yeah. come up. So, like, look at that. Come on.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. Los Angeles. I, speaking of Hockey Canada blunders. And this is an on ice one, right? It's very funny that, you know, like months after Brant Clark was deemed not good enough to play for the, the Canadian world junior team, Mm -hmm. he has now made the
0: Los Angeles Kings opening night roster. Um,
1: That's pretty remarkable, I think.
0: Yeah. And you know what, what I like about this is that, you know, Brant Clark, tremendous offensive defenseman, great mind for the Mm. game. Uh, You know, he he played some pro games uh, during the the pandemic overseas. Right shot. I love him coming to Los Angeles now because he can get so much from Drew Doughty. Oh, yeah. Like Drew Doughty on the ice. I mean, we've seen what he's done throughout his career. And, you know, Doughty had a nice bounce back last year. But just having that mentorship. And, you know, they have some other good defensemen there that they can move the puck as well. But, I mean, Doughty has seen it all. He's done it all. Whether it's Stanley Cups or, you know, the Olympics, Um, you know he just has such a huge resume to to have that connective tissue mm-hmm. in LA. And that's what I like the most about this. It wasn't even really a rebuild. It was just kind of a retool with LA where, you know, they had some down years, but then they kept guys yes. like Kopitar and Dowdy where again, you know, with Quentin Byfield, he has a tremendous mentor in mm-hmm. uh, Andre Kopitar as yes. a big center, um, you know, with a lot of potential. And then even adding Philippe Deneau, who's a, different type of center he doesn't have the size but it's just so great for a young center like byfield to have those guys to look Mm -hmm. up to and just watch them practice i think with brant clark it's the same thing uh with dowdy where he can he can look at him and be like okay like we're not exactly the same player but we have a lot of the same upside and I'm going to watch him and see what he does on the ice yeah. and follow him around. And that'll be a great, I think, uh, learning experience for him. You know what's,
1: first of all, I love what teams do. What I love how teams do this sometimes where if you're a young guy and you've earned it, you get it. Mm-hmm. That's what I like. Because Some teams, they purposefully don't give the opportunities to young guys right. through a sense of, you know, like even though you've earned it, you need to, you, we need to defer to the veteran or we you need to earn your stripes. No, like if Brant Clark... Played as well as he did in the in the preseason. If Brant Clark earned an NHL job in the preseason mm-hmm. and in training camp, which he did, he played incredibly well. Give it to him. See what he can do. Totally. And all, and you look at LA's defense. And what's the most sparse asset in the NHL right now?
0: I, it's been right shot D.
1: You want to know how many right shot D LA has? How many they got? They got one, two, three, four, five out of their seven are right shot. Wow. And and those five are Dowdy, Matt Roy. Uh, or Matt Waugh, however you want to pronounce it? Sean Walker, Sean Dersey, Brant Clark, and then even in mm-hmm. and then even in their non rosters Tobias Bjornfoot. Mm-hmm. There you go. Like it's uh, Bjorn Foote. and then even a guy like Jordan Spence coming up. He's a right shot. This is a this is a remarkably built team. Like, yeah. and, and they still have one point two five five million in cap space. There and we're going to get into some of the cap uh, cap interesting uh, situations, uh, if you want to say it. But I mean, this is a remarkably built team. That they're going to be a real problem this year.
0: Yeah. And again, it's fun to see that sort of transition from one era to another, mm. uh, especially cause we're getting the, the Dustin Brown statue this year. So it's like, you know, that he was part of that crew that, you know, got LA their cops. Yes. And then some of his teammates, as we said, are still there. Uh, but they have all this great youth bubbling up and, you know, Clark, I don't know if it was a one-for-one one thing, but Bjorn Fott is a guy that's played in the NHL before mm. and he doesn't make the team. Uh, Brand Clark does. So uh, again, you know, it's like you can't be comfortable because there's guys, you know, bubbling up from below. And, I, I, you know, Kim Nussien is another play, player that did not make the roster, but I've seen him play some very good hockey mm. in his development years as well, another young guy. Um, so it's, it's fun because mm-hmm. the assets are there. And like you have depth. You got depth. Like, let's let's
1: say Brant Clark doesn't play, well, or let's say you get an injury. Mm-hmm. You have a Bjorn Fott that you can just bring yep. up. He's in the same. He's in the same state. He's in, in Ontario. Exactly. Like it's exactly uh, Ontario California. It's fantastic. I think. I think what the job they've done. You're right. It hasn't really been a strict rebuild. Like they haven't sold off a crazy ton of assets, but mm. they put themselves in a position where they got a ton of young players, young young you know young talent really, mm-hmm. and then they were able to build that around an established core. Supplemented with pieces like a Philip DeNo, like a Kevin Fiala, like yeah. guys like that. Uh, picked up some some you know some under the radar ads. Like I'll I'll always stand for Trevor Moore. You know he's my favorite. <laughs> right. he's my favorite guy. And and he blossomed last year. Certainly he's did. Like, you know fifty point player. Like this, they did wow. a great job. All right, Montreal again. Maybe the team with the most um, most intrigue, I guess. Uh, towards the roster cut down line because they had mm-hmm. a lot, they, they're not going to be very good this year, but they have a lot of young players um, fighting for these spots as some, and a lot of great stories too. I think yep. that, that are, that could be fighting for these spots. And mainly it's that Jonathan Koface- Kof- Kovacevic, Kovacevic, there we go. Uh, Jordan Harris, Caden Gooley and Arbor Jack guy. I got it. Uh, he, they've all made the team. Jack, I was sent down just for a cat purpose, and he's, he yeah. was recalled before we started recording. Yeah. Um, they did this to, to give Justin Barron some more time in the AHL. What do we think of these guys? Uh, Kovacevic was a waiver. Uh, yes. Uh, I guess sort of like ad uh, from Winnipeg, right? Yes. yes.
0: And, you know, he might end up going down, uh, you know. Uh, he can. Because, yeah. Because, because he's cleared.
1: Or, or no, he didn't. He got he got claimed, so no, we can't. They have to put him on waivers so i down again.
0: Right, yeah. and, and they might have to do that anyways because, you know, Joel Edmondson is hurt right now, but I don't think he's too far off. But, um, you know, Kovacevic, a uh, big body, played for Merrimack College in the NCAA Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in, but it's fun because, you know, and Arbor Jekai has been kind of one of the great internet stories. I found like he's kind of always trending on Twitter. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, he started his OHL career off in Kitchener and I do remember seeing him in his draft year and, it's like okay, well, you know, there's an interesting frame there, but he was still kind of developing yeah. and finding himself, and he's not a big points guy. But by the end of it, and if I'm not mistaken, he ended with Hamilton. He did, yes, winning uh, an OHL championship. You know, now he's this physical, nasty guy we saw in the preseason. You know, he'll take on anybody. He, he doesn't was care.
1: Living rent free in DJ Smith's head for a little bit. There, there you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, fought Austin Watson. Yeah, big dude. That's and
1: that's not like that's that's, that's not, not fun like that. That's not an insignificant got to fight.
0: No. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so he makes it. So he gives them a a nice look there. And again, you know, a young team, you want to make sure that you're all sticking up for each other. Uh, Jordan Harris is somebody that's been on the radar for a while now. Great puck moving defenseman. Had a really nice career at Northeastern University. So it'll be fun to see what he does. And then obviously Caden Gooley is somebody, a first rounder who, Mm. um, you know, again, you know, great international resume, awesome skater. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny that the defense is so young right now with Edmondson out. You got David Savard, obviously. And you got Mike Matheson, too. You got Mike Matheson. Yep. But you have all these young guys, and they, they're totally different players, yeah. which I think is very fun. And, yeah, you know, they're going to have their struggles. They're going to make mistakes. But uh, this is the year to do it because, you know, Montreal's probably not going to be a playoff team. So mm-hmm. let's see what they can all do. Let's see who establishes themselves this year and maybe secures a spot for the next several years down the line.
1: Yeah, it, it's fun experimentation, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think for a guy like uh, like St. Louis, who, you know, is a mad scientist, he likes to, to shake some things up. Like you have so many sort of, you have so many different assets at your disposal yeah. now. You can really, you can, you know, shelter one guy, we'll throw another guy to the wolves. You can do all, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, New Jersey. Shout out to the guy who I did my first magazine feature on, uh, Simon Nemich. There you go. Uh, I'm always going to have a soft spot for him um, mm-hmm. because he uh, he was a great interview and he likes F1 and he doesn't have time to watch Netflix. That's a, that's a big thing that I got from him.
0: Go.
1: He he made the team second overall pick. You know, very talented right shot defenseman. I think, you know, like he's another, he's like year check where he'd go down to the AHL if they really wanted to. He just absolutely tore up the um, Slovakian league. Uh, last year like yes. he was he was a superstar as a 19 year old 18 year old he was too good really for that for that league so I think this is a better I think this is the better developmental option to send uh, to either keep him in the NHL or send him down but then we also have Kevin Ball the main uh, uh, the main sort of return from the Taylor Hall trade mm. um, who is who is starting in the AHL he could come up he's he's had some very brief uh, I guess auditions or cameos in the NHL you want to call it mm. New Jersey like, is another team that they're not going to be that good this year. We really don't think they've added some pieces that would suggest they think they're going to be good this year. They Andre Palat, you know, another year of Ducky Hamilton, yeah. you know, guys like that. But I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what Nemish does because he's so talented. He's got, he's, he's got so many gifts. He does everything really well. I feel like his game out of any of the defenders that were picked. And I know it's not really a hot take to say the second overall pick, like right. the top defenseman is going to do this. But I think his, in terms of any defenseman that was picked this year, his game could translate best to the NHL, right from the hop, I
0: mm-hmm. think. And it's interesting because he he didn't have a strong camp. I think a lot of mm-hmm. Devils fans were surprised that he made the the final roster. And, you know, again, it's early days. We might see some, some movements up and down and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. To, I, I'm going to be intrigued to see how New Jersey handles him. Like, is this the sort of thing where he gets nine games? Uh, you know, do they send him down? Like... I mean, they, I guess they still could send him to Europe if they wanted to. Um, they could whenever. They, they, could do, they could do whatever. You know, is it the sort of thing where, you know, he watches a game from the press box and he plays a game? Um, you know, at what point do they bring Kevin Ball up? They're completely different defensemen because Kevin Ball is it's humongous. Huge. I think he's six foot seven, probably two thirty, maybe yeah. two forty. Uh, Simon Nemich, obviously, uh, you know, a mobile six foot puck mover can do a lot of things for you there. So that's an intriguing situation because it's not like Nemich forced their hand. Yes. So what's the you know what's the roster look like in two weeks, three weeks from now? That, to me, is very interesting.
1: They also already have three, like, top six right-shot defensemen. Like, their right side's actually pretty legit. They have, Mm -hmm. you know, Dougie Hamilton, John Marino, and David Seamerson. Yeah. So, I mean, like, unless you're going to get Nemich to plan his offside, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, if you have a right-shot a youngster, like, I don't know why you'd want to make him do that.
0: Yeah, maybe someone else switches.
1: It's very – but then, like, are you going to – yeah, maybe someone else switches. Who knows? But, I mean, this is – like, that's a very good right side for a Mm -hmm. team that's not, you know – and then – Unfortunately, you have the, you know, Ryan Graves, Jonas Siegenthaler, and then uh, Brandon Smith on the other side, um, yeah. who's also listed as a winger here on Cat Friendly, which is interesting. Hopefully for fantasy, too. That'd be great. But um, no, it's it's uh, it's odd. I, I, I guess they you're right. Like the more I think about it, the more I feel like they're going to do the maybe one game in one game out, you know, mm-hmm. like sort of a, a part time type player. Um, to learn, but then again, like is the, that the best for development? Is that the best? Uh, do you want to have this sort of like thoroughbred, this raw thoroughbred, um, sort of sitting in the stables watching everyone else race? Right. Um, but then again, like who do you take out and who do you like? Do you put someone on their offside? Then again, that that uh, adds some odd stuff. It's it,
0: it's a fluid situation. Yeah. I'm very and, interested to see. And quick sidebar on the whole. Handedness. Yes, it was really interesting. Where you know, at the Player Media Tour, Quinn Hughes from Vancouver yeah. was yeah. talking about playing on his offside, and he was saying he he might actually like it better <clears throat> because he was theorizing <clears throat> that he can do more. That sometimes you know, when he's on his his right side or his correct side, I guess, um, he can you know he'll he'll go down the wall and then he's kind of trapped. He's like you know, if if I'm on my offhand, I might have more options from the blue line of of different uh, sort of avenues. So I wonder, you know, is that something that a John Marino might consider if necessary? Because, you know, he's the type of guy that can also Mm -hmm. contribute offensively or even Dougie Hamilton for that matter. Um, so I don't know, just something I've been thinking.
1: And about. something that's, that's definitely on the same line, same, uh, uh, scale as that is that when I play NHL, uh, mm-hmm. 22, I'm a defenseman, I shoot left, but I like to play right D. Well, there you go. Um, and I think it's just because it opens up the pass lanes a bit. I'm allowed, I'm on the right side, but my, my stick is towards the center of the ice, mm-hmm. uh, which allows me to do sort of cross rank passes more maneuver a little bit better off the face off. It's a little different just because you're not, um, in sort of like a one timer scenario, often. right? But it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, and, and that, like I like I said, is definitely on the same level as Quinn
0: Hughes uh, yes. uh, switching it up. I was gonna say you are the Quinn Hughes of video games. I am. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh,
1: there's not even a there's not even a joke to be made about that because it's just so serious and true. It's fine. Um, all right, the team that everyone's been waiting for, the team that has that is one of the most perfect LTIR placement teams uh, we can have. Um, they have. I have more money. Literally in my pocket right now. Than they do have cap space. Amazing. I have I have a five dollar bill in my wallet. The Toronto Maple Leafs have four dollars in cap space right now. Remarkable. Brandon Purim, like I, like, and I'm barely kidding when I say this should be on Legends Row. Like he is. Like I I don't know. He, he had to commit like tax fraud or something to do that, right? Like it's it's crazy. So a lot has happened here because the Leafs they sent they they waived. You know, like Adam Godet didn't make the roster, so he got waived. He cleared. Kyle Clifford, same thing, waved, cleared. You know, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, Victor Mete, Jordy Ben is on IR, but I'm assuming they're going to wave him and then he'll probably clear when that happens. The big thing here too, there are a couple things, is Wayne Simmons. Mm -hmm. You know, he's uh, um, uh, the Toronto, uh, according to Elliot Friedman, sent a mass email to to the rest of the league uh, at the, basically like on, I believe it was Sunday morning or Monday, either one saying basically, look, Wayne Simmons is available. Uh, the return in a trade is not as important as doing right by the player, because mm. I mean that organization loves Wayne Simmons. You know he's a great person. He's one of the best locker room people in the league. Everyone loves him. Um, but unfortunately, he is not—he's not good enough to make this Toronto Maple Leafs roster. I can't. Mm. Like he's the way that they want to redo their their bottom or their bottom six, and specifically their fourth line. Add skill, um, um, some forechecking, some youth, uh, uh, and they've done that with you know with Nicholas Obey and also with uh, Zach Aston Reese, he just didn't fit there. He was not fast enough. And he, that really hurt the team last year, you know, mm-hmm. when it was a, a plodding, you know, Smith, or not Smith, um, Spezza, Simmons, Clifford line. So he's, he's waved, He's sent down. He could be sent anywhere. And I think uh, he's now a more sort of coveted asset that he can be toggled up and down between the AHL and NHL for a team that wants to acquire him. Um, on top of that, Dennis Molligan made the team. Your boy. Molligan hive rise up um yeah. that is that uh, the fact like he is the job that he did in camp is remarkable because he came in and he had to not just establish himself as uh, uh you know as as a potential nhl hopeful he had to remind people that he existed totally he was a punchline literally he was like like uh, this this mulligan hive bit that i've been doing on twitter it started ironically it's not ironic anymore he is an NHL player. He proved it every time he was on the ice in the preseason. He was making things happen. Surprised a lot of people, except for, you know, some of the really sort of uh really intricate nerds online who right. are watching him in the Swiss League and realize he's pretty good. But like this is he he looked completely different from his his little um his little debut, or I guess his cameo, his eight-game cameo in Toronto before. And, you know, technically he made it over Nick Robertson, but The only reason Nick Robertson is not on the team right now is due to cap reasons, and whether or not Tavares suits up, John Tavares suits up for opening night uh, because he's been dealing with an oblique injury. Mm. Whether or not he suits up for opening night will be a determination on whether or not Robertson can be called back up under the emergency designation, where he won't count against the cap. Mm. But I mean, for for the Leafs got the Leafs essentially found uh, uh, found a great. NHL asset and Dennis Malgan. they got him. that was that was something that I'm assuming they they weren't they couldn't have thought coming into camp that Malgin was going to challenge for a roster spot and he won one. And number two, Nick Robertson finally like he 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 showed that he was a step above the rest. He showed that he was their best forward prospect. He showed that he's ready that he could potentially play in an NHL top six and he will once the money allows them to. I think I think it's great to see and I think that's that if you're the Leafs, you are overjoyed that you got the, this outcome from these two players.
0: Yeah. And then at this point, you just hope that, uh, you know, Maligan can produce in the regular season and that you can get Robertson into the lineup. And again, that is the challenge of when you have so much salary yes. wrapped up in your top guys and, and you are so close to the salary cap, literally $4. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the intrigue in Toronto, right? Is making sure that you can actually ice the best roster possible. Yes. Based on all these off ice factors, and it you know it's going to be a challenge for them, but we'll see what happens. And you know Tavares is kind of the the key there because mm-hmm. he is a big money player that obviously also dealing with an injury. Right and
1: if now. he if he misses if he misses so the situation essentially is if he misses the first game, um, <clears throat> the Leafs will have to dress like 19 players, but then that triggers their eligibility to call up Nick Robertson under emergency circumstances, because I believe they have to play one game. Um, uh, they have to play one game sort of that, that uh, shorthanded. And then the, then the league can be like, Oh yes, now we can step in. Now we can give that to you. Um, right. I want to talk. Th- th- those are the rest of the teams that are really interesting. I want to talk about some LTI replacements because this it. is and not, not very long, but this is incredible. Like this is remarkable because I want to just put into context, getting a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, like getting within a couple hundred thousand dollars for your LTIR pool uh, space is extremely hard. Like you have to to really maneuver some things. It is is remarkable. And here are some of the, I want to go from bottom to top here. The Edmonton Oilers. With their LTIR placement, you know, heading into the regular season, they had to lock it in, be compliant. They have $167 in cap space. Wow. $167. That's remarkable. The Tampa Bay Lightning. A team that is always doing this, always going crazy with with the LTR pool. Do you want to take a guess how much they have? I'm gonna say $98. $33. Wow. <laughs> um, the Vegas Golden Knights. Who and and this this was reflected in the extremely specific Nick Hague uh, uh, right. contract. I believe it was two point two nine or no, two point two four five, and then like the dollars were like six four three or something, something extremely They have $16 in cap space. Amazing. The Toronto Maple Leafs, as I said, $4 in cap space. And the piece de resistance, the the creme de la creme. I have no idea how they made this happen, yet they did. The Vancouver Canucks, they have exactly $0 in cap space. It was right on the nose. Wow. Not a single penny to move (laughs) in either direction. We don't even have pennies anymore.
0: That's right. Even if
1: we did. Yeah. They wouldn't have any to move in either direction. That's right. To be fair, they're not that great of a team, so it's kind of worrying that they're that tight to the cap. But who am I to judge? Yeah, the fact that that this this team is, (coughs) excuse me, that close. I'm just so I'm I'm like my body is just rejecting this information. It's so crazy. Shout out to the capologist. Please, for the love of God, luxury tax.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's to the point now where you're hiring all these people all the, off yeah. for office in the front office to make sure that you're cap compliant, <clears throat> and you're doing all these like mathematical gymnastics. Yeah. This is like just fix the system.
1: Just fix like we're Vegas Vegas is paying technically, I guess, paying Shea Weber like seven point five million dollars this year to play. He's uh, not going to play. He's no. not. He's not a Vegas Golden Knight, and yet yeah. they needed him. Yeah, and it's crazy. All right, we because this has been such a pressure packed show, we're not going to do mailbag questions. Yes. Uh, we're just going to rapid fire. Believe it is, Ryan's turn to rapid fire me.
0: Indeed it is. Hit me, let's rapid go. Rapid fire time. Okay, so I know uh, from your Twitter account that you like to cook I do yourself. like to cook. So here's my question. What's the dumbest thing you've ever cooked? Like something where you were like, this would be great, and it was a disaster.
1: That's a really, really good question. Thank you. Um, oh man, the dumbest thing I've ever cooked. There was one night where I was really like i was craving just like junk you Uh know and so i'm and and i remember i think it was an epic mealtime thing where they made like a grilled cheese burger and so i Mm. thought okay i'm gonna make a burger yeah um but instead of and i think burger priest sells it but not to the extent that i did it um where it's a it's a burger but the each bun is a full grilled cheese right so i did that but i went ham like i i did and this was a time when i uh i had picked up for some reason i was going to like a dinner party of some sort and so i i was in charge of bringing the cheeses uh-huh. so i went to a, a a great shop in kensington it's a specialty cheese shop kensington market mm. uh where I used to live and i got all these different kinds of cheeses and there was like truffle Gruyere. there was you know it cost me like 60 bucks worth of cheeses it was crazy and and i and i had them and you know everyone really enjoyed them but there was a lot left over, and so they're like, "Just take home the cheese with you, Mike. Like you bought it. Like why don't you?" Like I'm like, "Okay, cool." So I so for the grilled cheese, I obviously did the cheddar and all that, but right. I added like like maple smoked uh, brie, and, and like like it was it was really cool. And then uh-huh. I and then for the burgers, I did a double, add a little bit of bacon in there, and then, nice. then did the same thing, put it together. I ate it, and it felt like I had ate, eaten like a solid lead anvil <laughs> in my body for the next like couple for the next couple of days, like legitimately, right. it was it was hampering my ability to move. <laughs> and I'm I'm like, never again. Right. I went like to to burn that off, I went on, I think it was like cause I can't run because of my knee right now. So I, I I go on these really long hikes and I did I went in total in that week I did about 120 kilometers of hiking. Wow. To burn that off. Amazing. And it still didn't feel right. Like I still like I this was I would say maybe like three months ago or something. And I still feel like there's a little bit of it left in my body. So look, it tasted really good, but the shame, Mm. not just, not just the after effects, but the shame involved in that. It's not worth it. I'm sorry guys.
0: Fair fair. So for me, uh, back when I was like first dating what would become my wife, Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to make homemade salsa. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I think it was even pineapple salsa at that because I'm a fan. Okay.
1: Before you get started on this, this shouldn't be that hard. Making salsa is not really
0: that it's hard. It's not hard. But what I realized, it, it takes so long. And I bought like $20 worth of ingredients yeah. where it's like, I, you know, even like- A jar is like five. A <laughs> jar is like $5. It's like, yeah. this is a huge waste of my time. spent. You know, like boiling down all the ingredients and like mm. doing all that. And it's like, just buy salsa. It's really one of those things where it's like, it's not worth it to make it yourself. they
1: really like really quick to this. Like there was, I think it was two weeks ago where I was really tired, but I was really hungry. And I was like, you know what? I'll just, I think I have some flour left over. Like I'm gonna make, I'll, I'll make like a pizza for myself. But mm. like the dough, like from scratch cause I can just whip that up. Yeah. But I realized I didn't have enough flour, um, but I still went ahead and I'm like, it'll be fine. <laughs> It was like glue yeah and and i use like i you know i obviously like wipe down my my counter and everything before i need it but like this thing like fused itself to my counter so i had to like spend the next day like literally chiseling this like this glue this dough glue with yeast in it like chipping it off it was yeah. uh, there's still little like bits of it that i've been trying to wipe off very
0: dumb yeah. damn all right next question What's an NHL arena you have not been to yet that you would like to go to?
1: I've been to a shockingly small amount of NHL arenas. Mm. In that i so you have to, many choices. I've yes, I've been to the old Joe Louis Arena. Mm-hmm. I have been to obviously Scotiabank uh, Arena slash Air Canada Center, mm-hmm. um, work purposes mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been to Ball Arena and uh, uh, Emily Amelie. Amelie Arena, and that is it. Wow! I have not been to so I would really like to go to um, Seattle's Arena. Yeah. I've heard You know, the I, the natural lighting in there is something I'm very interested to see, especially mm. for a morning skate because I, I have a feeling that the sun is just going to wreak havoc on the, <laughs> the sight lines on that rink. I don't mm. know why they would do that. Because if you look at certain NFL stadiums, like, like for example, in, in Dallas, they have sort of like a half-covered roof. Yeah. So one side of the field for half the game is like just getting blasted with sunlight. Totally. And the other is not. And so it, it's actually like a, a detriment to the team that's starting on that side. I don't know why you would build a hockey arena with that, but natural light is always nice. I like to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to go just to see what it's like. I know this is a very weird option, but I'd like to see what it's like to go to uh, the Saddle Dome um, Uh because I know it's falling apart. I'd like to see that. And I'd also uh, like walking on the catwalk to get to the press box. I think is pretty cool. Um and obviously Vegas is. I, I think mm-hmm. T-Bone will be really cool. I just want to see the ambiance, like the, the stuff. But I thought that that ball arena really surprised me. I was, it was or, very nice. I was I thought it was a really nice arena, yeah. really nice facilities, great buffets there for us. Yeah. Um, you know, the best have ever had that also exploded all over me. Uh, it was it was a pe- white powder donut. So I looked like uh, uh freaking Tony Montana for a little bit there. Yeah. It was it was really good. I'd like to
0: like to enjoy that. Yeah, nice. what about you? I
1: feel like you've been to way more than I have. So you know. I've
0: been to most at this point, okay. but I have not been to Anaheim and I hear that Anaheim has a very nice arena, honestly. Really? Center. Yes. So I would like to I'd like to check out Anaheim. I'm intrigued about it and see I haven't been to Seattle yet. I would yeah. like to see Seattle as well.
1: See probably. I like the one place I would not want to go to is Columbus because I don't want to hear that cannon.
0: Fair. Like it's
1: I, it's loud. I, I've I've heard, yeah. and I like I'm someone who just hates jump scares. Like I can watch okay. a horror movie all day, every day. Right. But jump scares make me angry. They don't make me scared. Like gotcha. if someone, you know, if Michael Myers jumps out of the closet, and was like, Bleh, I'm just like, oh, f you, man. Like, you know, I'm trying to fight the screen. <laughs> right. uh, I feel like I feel like if we were sitting next to each other. Uh, you know, uh, you would just be getting me getting progressively more angry as the game went on. I feel like I'm not a pleasant person to be around when that happens. So I'm doing it for you.
0: Okay, good, good. Okay, Uh, give me a personal superstition.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Hmm. I have to have my phone, my wallet, my keys in very specific pockets. Oh, that's good. I uh, Like I have to... Like if, if, and if I switch them up, like it, it really throws me off because mm. I'm on the move a lot like I, you know, I'm either coming to the office or going to the rink or going back from the rink or going to the subway, this, that, the other. I always have to have my, my phone in my right pocket, my wallet, my left, my keys, in my back. Um, and then uh, uh, and then potentially like, you know, if I'm wearing a jacket, headphones in the jacket, left pocket, gotcha. uh, everything else like it, it like whatever but if if any of those get switched up if my phone is ever in my left pocket like i feel weird i feel naked it doesn't it doesn't work so mm. if if you ever see me walking down the street and i have my phone in my left pocket that's a clone and you need to
0: shoot it nice yeah it's like they live exactly right. mine is like something that i don't know how i stumbled upon this but i call it never separate the mother from the cub and it's like i don't like this be between like a mother and their child in mm-hmm. like you know, I drop my own kids off at school. It can sometimes be difficult because kids just run all over yeah. the place. But for some reason, it's like a weird vibe where it's like if I'm between the two of them, it feels like it's off. Like, I don't know. It's just, like I say, it's a vibe thing. So Speaking
1: like, of that, actually, another one is if I'm ever walking with, like like with a girl or a woman or whatever on the street, whether it's uh, my mom, whether, you know, a romantic partner, sister, whatever, I always have to be on the outside. You know, okay. it's always, I have to be on the outside. So if by any chance, a car... Mounts the curb, it hits me first. Doesn't hit them. Or you know, if someone splat, if if there's a puddle and car goes by, it splashes. I take the brunt of the splash. Gotcha. It's just something like my my parents instilled it to me is really mm. at a really young age. called the safe side. Chivalry. And uh, it it's more of in at this point, it's more of like a selfish thing for me where it's like you have to be here. Like I don't want you and getting mm. <clears throat> getting hurt, getting splashed or whatever. Um, and yeah, and it's it's and a lot of people have made fun of me for it.
0: Fair. Okay. Next question. Uh, ban a song from hockey arenas. Oh,
1: High Hopes by uh, Panic at the Disco. Never want to hear it again. Um, mm. Every single stoppage in play, it's... Ah, 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 ah. No, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. It's not that good of a song to begin with. Mm. Um, and, uh, we have our producer, Connor, shaking his head behind <laughs> behind the camera. And I'm just going to speak... Panic at the Disco I'm, fan. I'm gonna, no, I love Panic at the Disco. Uh. <clears throat> New Panic at the Disco, not so much. Uh. And, and I think that they're... Uh, like that song is just so just rammed down our throats not each, or um and I love the song mm-hmm. but um um blinding lights by by the Weeknd. Uh-huh. uh I think it gets played so much like we're, we just have to like it's it's getting to the point where it's making me not like the song, even though it's an objectively great song. Right, we need to stop it. And it was it was hurt by a its its placement in um in in NHL arenas and also its placement in Super Bowl ads because mm. he did the Super Bowl halftime show right. in 2020, I believe. That sounds um cool. And so it was just like let me enjoy the song don't make me hate it with with oversaturation what
0: about you i'm going with sweet caroline uh by needleman that's the cop out answer come on well but here's the thing it's like it's not a ho- like it's not a hockey song like, Yeah, they use it in other sports before yeah and i think even soccer fans they have a it's thing mainly there. the way that i see that song
1: is i you know in, at fenway park they sing it i think it's yeah. like the sixth inning yeah. i've been like I, i've been to fenway park beautiful place they sing mm. and that's the only place i think they should do it
0: yeah yeah I, and i also think that like uh, there's certain songs that are specific to certain arenas mm-hmm. that you shouldn't do otherwise, right? Like um, like the Deo chant that they do in Montreal. It's like, they've tried that in Toronto. No. And it's like, no, that's your rival. Exactly, can not do that, that. don't yeah. do that. And like, I think Colorado played Detroit Rock City during the Stanley Cup final. It's like, yo, you hate the Red Wings. You always hated there's the Red do- Wings. There
1: was a documentary airing at that same time. Yeah, they hated yeah,
0: you can don't choose- do that. I mean, that's... That's a good KISS song, but it's like, you don't have to play it. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you got to think of that. If you're mm-hmm. an arena DJ, you got to think of those subtle exactly. things. Exactly. But they don't. They don't. No. Some of them do. There's some very good arena are, DJs. out yeah. So, all right. That's the end of that's Rapid it. Fire. And that's Thank the Thank you of the for show. playing. That's right.
1: Yeah, so we will uh, we'll be back next week. I'm glad we could grab that hockey cannon news off the top. And look, best time of the year. The season is starting. Please enjoy it. Uh, yell at each other on Twitter. Uh, do all that. Thank you to Betham Jem McKenney, obviously, for uh, for being lovely partners. And like I said, we'll see you next week, Ryan. Thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you.